0: Here we are. On this episode of the Dusty Allen Show, I'm joined by Paul McKinnon, a.k.a. The Balanced Runner. Paul is a run technique and gait training specialist for performance and injury prevention, which means he's a very, very good run coach. We dive into the world of running and discuss why it is that people seem to either love it or hate it. He also shares some cracking stories from his time as a professional athlete traveling the world and what happened when he challenged the greatest swimmer of modern history to a race? Come on in. The water's great. you now listening to The Dusty Allen Show. Welcome to The Dusty Allen Show. Paul McKinnon. Dusty Allen. Welcome to The Dusty Allen Show. Thanks for having me. Season two. Season two, start of season two. I, I feel mm.
1: like um you're otherwise known as my COVID Thunder buddy.
0: Yes, yes. It was um you know within the five k radius. So obviously here in here in Melbourne, for those you know playing at home and listening, listening. Well, everyone's listening remotely, I suppose. But you know, <laughs> listening further away than than some others. But yeah, it was uh, it was good to have a person to lean on during the pandemic, which I think everyone can relate to. Because at some point, I feel like we were some of the first going through, but now at some point, everyone's gone through a version of restrictions or lockdown or not being able to go where you you want or having to wear a mask or whatnot.
1: Yeah, well, I think we, uh, we, you know, with that significant other, and we often joked about if someone came around and knocked on the door, I feel like, you know, we had dinner, we, we cooked Yep, we brought up uh, some dependents together. or yes. We brought into the family yeah. dependent. Uh, I feel like it was a pretty significant. child. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And uh, think that you know, if, if push came to shove and someone knocked on the door, we we're willing to you know prove the prove the I don't, I don't think
0: we had too much to prove. Like literally, yeah. you wouldn't have to do anything. Uh, Just like looks no. like you know, two guys who are bubble buddies. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. I think it was the term that was uh, I think was called. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's what we used. Now, as I said, welcome to the show. Pumped to have you on board. I know you have. Uh, you're a big fan of the show. Obviously, everyone who comes on to the show is a big fan of the show. I was a big fan before.
1: Big fan before the yes. show started.
0: Yes. Well, that's actually interesting because you're one of the reasons that the show came into oh, fruition. Thank thank um, yeah. My accountability person, because I've been meaning to to start a podcast for years and never got around to trying to get it right that sort of thing. And you were like, "Oh, well, if you're going to do it." Do it, and I'm gonna. And I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna do it." But I've been saying that for for six months, twelve months, eighteen months. And I remember you checked in and said, "How's that going?" And yeah, definitely the catalyst for getting things uh, rolling here. So thank you.
1: My pleasure. It was good to see it actually um, come to fruition, and you start to put a few people together, and and end up getting a season
0: two. Yes, I know. Like the studios approved the season two. Can I just say,
1: stepped in thinking that um, you know we're just walking into a nice little. intimate studio we've got people watching there's four seats here we've got Mm. you know lights camera got your little flashing light oh it's uh it was a little bit overwhelming i actually got
0: a little bit nervous we don't muck around on the on the dusty well not not in season two season one you mucked around a little bit sorry yeah it was recorded from my bedroom (laughs) so definitely some some mucking around but we're well set up for a studio audience live studio audience at some stage so we'll be selling tickets to that eventually so you know just stay tuned uh to the dusty, yummy show What the
1: that. two that are here at the moment?
0: We do, yeah. We've got uh, we've got uh, the team, you know, just hiding. I'm am g- giving them a wave. Like you won't be able to see them here. But they're waving back, you know. Um, you know the guys here at Backlot Studios making it possible. So huge thanks to them. Now, Paul, we've you and I came to know each other through running, and I obviously running is something that everyone does and everyone can and can most people can like you know get around and do and but then I realise that just such a multi layered person, like you know, different different things that you've done and stuff. So I'll start with with I suppose the running element of it, the fact that your area of expertise for running is something that's quite different to a generic running coach. And I say this from my my perspective, not knowing a great deal about the running world. You are known as the balanced runner and tell me how you came to be the balanced runner and what that means and Poor. yeah i know it's it's like, a... like, i'm not being really very narrowing, very, yeah, it down. narrowing it down there so yeah take me to the point where running became something where where it became your full-time job
1: Being uh, a running
0: coach yeah
1: i guess that took a long time to get to that point really um the The specificity that you talk about about what I do and different from the generic is because I specialize in technique itself. So it's not the um, programming um, of the the day-to-day or or week-to-week amounts or intensity that people do. It is about the movement itself um, and how that relates to the individual. So it's very much one-on-one specializing in their movement. The the easiest way to always explain it is it's like a golf pro but for running. So you're going and getting... A lesson, you go off and play. In this case, you go off and run. You allow that to become habit, and then you come back and you continually tweak and and improve and and, um, refine an individual's running technique. How I got involved in it, Uh, I always had a real interest in running itself, um, even though that my background is in hockey. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, it's running in hockey, right? Yeah, yeah. So obviously, you know, running based.
0: Sport. I will say to those listening in like North America or wherever you may right. be, Mars hockey meaning field hockey in uh, in Australia as yeah. opposed to please people don't judge me. Like skating. If, if yep. you
1: are North American, please don't judge me. And I do have all my teeth, <laughs> which is a positive. Great teeth. Yeah. Well, thanks, mate. Um, So yeah, field hockey and grew up. And, and look, running probably wasn't even a strength of mine growing up playing hockey. Um, it was an interest in, and even as young as 15, I remember going out running myself to to become better for hockey. It wasn't until probably about 17, 18, when I was going out in Canberra and running and, and started to listen to footfall, foot pattern um, movements and just kind of understanding how, or trying to understand why they were different and then started to make changes on the top half of the body to try and change the bottom half of the body. And that's probably where it started in regards to the interest in in movement um, itself
0: and and changing the movement of running. And is that... It came from a curiosity, because yeah. why are there not more people doing what you do like i'm I'm like when I say I don't know a lot about running, I know a bit, and I know some people like in the running, well, why then no? why are there not many people who do like technique uh work like you whereas you
1: i uh, I think unfortunately, dusty there are mm. they're just not done well, yep, I think the difference is it's it's very much one of if not the only skill in the world where it's easy just to say here's five generic cues and, and use this, this, this and off you go. Or there's a very good understanding and awareness of, of what what good looks like or, or what angles are supposed to be and, and the biomechanic background of it because that's studied you know to the nth degree. But then I think it's the retraining difference, like the retraining side of it. So getting someone from where they are to where you want them to get to as their individual shell starts off. you are not trying to match or mimic one Um, perfect person or movement it's getting that person and how they are and their anatomy and how that's set up and retraining their current patterns of movement into something that is better for them i think that's probably the 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 difference there are a lot of people that try and do it but it is more about this is what you're doing get on a treadmill bang 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 here's your five things go off
0: and, and and implement them
1: and it just doesn't work that way
0: and is that based obviously you get a lot of feedback because you work with i'll say like average joe runners like you know and you work with elite athletes and there's obviously like a lot in between when was it that you realized that there was i suppose a market for like for what you do or like a an area you could specialize in like a niche and how did it was it just where you you, you mixed that curiosity that you had with like with running and movement and then started to obviously coach people and obviously got positive fit they're getting like results and improvements and those sort of things where did that that mix occur
1: um, to be honest I never actually saw it as a, a niche or a market or, a, or somewhere to try and go um, in, in, a, in a business sense or in a in a um, profession sense it was always about a curiosity and an interest in 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 um, Improving people, helping them do something better that they really enjoy. And I enjoyed seeing the improvement. And I think from that, it just kind of grew. So it was, and, and, and the word of mouth that you sort of speak about. So it was less about um, trying to find something to do as a, as a profession. And it was just kind of allowing it to become a profession as a result of um, positive positive words, um, positive results, and and, and that word of mouth. And then it just kind of has grown and and continues to um, over the last sort of four or five years.
0: And you talk about seeing people get improvement and, you know, enjoyment, you know, out of their running. There seems to be, what I've this this myth around running that it's, that it's, I suppose it's like a barrier that stops people from doing it. Like oh, I don't run. I come across that all the time. Like I enjoy running. You enjoy running, and whereas some person oh, I don't run. Like it's too hard on my body, and they so say I'm not a runner. And I would sometimes, not so much now, but would counteract that was saying, "Well, you were once. You know, like as a kid, you like to run or whatever." Where, where does this fear of running come from for people? Like, obviously, it's hard. It's you know, there's but. So is swimming, yeah. So is doing weights and things like. Where do you think that comes from?
1: Well, I think it's real that it is hard for for some people, and and the movements that they they make, and and the fitness state that they're in, or or even what they feel when they run, is difficult, and it is hard. So it's almost legitimizing that. Like I think it, it's true. It is hard. But it can be a lot easier and you can understand why it becomes um or, or the the individual becomes despondent or just disinterested or even afraid of it because it's like well every time i do this it feels hard it feels heavy i get injured so in that regard you can understand it mm. but if there's a very real interest in wanting to become better at it or going, no no this this is something i i want to do or i only have time to do then there's a very possible ability to make it easier yeah so i think it, it, it when someone says oh it's a hard or i'm not a runner like like most things you know mm. we'll we you know, try and there's a fear in, involved in anything new um and i think that's part of it there's also a you know the psychological side of it where it's like oh i don't want to pretend like i'm a runner even people who run seven days a week often go i'm not a runner you know like i run but i'm not a runner and yeah well
0: yeah that's you know like so there's whose definition does it go by exactly so there's
1: there's that side of it as well so there's so many different layers to it and then you go well if you want do you want to do it yes I can help Mm. and I think that's probably the um, the thing that you're talking about in in, in regards to like what you try and say I know you were at one stage it's a similar kind of thing but it's allowing them to feel no it's okay to be hard like it's okay for it to feel difficult Mm. because if you're making a pattern of movement that makes it difficult it's similar you use swimming as an example yeah I'm not a swimmer. I'm not very good at it. And that makes it even more hard, which makes me less likely to try it.
0: Yeah. I, and I think the, the picture that's always painted of running, whether it be in marketing or it's like, yeah, everyone's got a smile on their face. They're never going to put a picture of someone, you know, busting their gut on, you know, kilometre five of a, of a half marathon or something. And, well, and, the rea- and the reality is, even the people that are
1: so good at it, If they're running anything between, you know, like low kilometers to super high kilometers, 80% of it is difficult because they are fatigued. They're getting used to being fatigued and running Mm -hmm. under fatigue and conditioning their body so that when they do lighten up and and they go through their taper period, that they feel fresh and then they can run fast. So even those ones that run 10, 20 times more than the rest of us, it's hard sometimes for them. They'll have more likely or more often they will have good runs and they'll feel what you don't want to
0: feel. But they're fatigued, and that feels hard for them as well. I think there's that that misconception, and not only based on the people that I that I talk to, and there's quite a lot of runners, or say people who run instead of like saying saying runners. And Strava's an interesting thing because <laughs> I went through a phase where I just wanted to run faster, and then with people liking going, oh my gosh, like there's some friends of mine who go, mate, you're so fast, like, and I, and I thought, if you knew the people that I knew who were lightning years faster than lightning years light years faster than me but it's so much faster. it's all relative i think to who you see and and what's uh, what's in your world but i i it, it i suppose it depends what the person's relationship is with running as well
1: even that though like and when we spoke to uh, spoke about it at the time this is probably over 12 months or 18 months ago now and i was like mate no wonder you keep getting sores because every time you go out you do that run at that pace, which is, you know, a bit of an effort for you. Mm. And then two days later, you do it again. And you wonder why you're starting to get sore or you're not pulling up okay. No. And the education around it is like, well, you're not supposed to run that fast every run or every second run. And and then the pressure that you talk about with the Strava, it's like, oh, that, you know, someone will make a comment, oh, that's a bit slow today or, geez, you're running really fast. So then there's that expectation. And then that feels the psyche and then it's like, oh, no, I've got to run that fast again. You know, like you see how that business then you know, starts I, to feed into that pattern that you are talking I about. I just
0: thought of it now. Would a, a, a similar analogy be you play footy and you go try and do match simulation every time that you go out to to train and stuff like go literally that intensity like all the time? And you weren't the only one who pointed it out to me that, like, <laughs> mate, you keep trying to run fast every time, something's going to break or something's, and eventually it did. You know? but and,
1: a lot of people make those comments, not a lot of people follow them. You know, a lot of people make the comment about, oh, no, you've got to do your, your slow run slow or your easy days easy, whatever. It, however, whatever analogy they use. However, then they'll go out and go, no, I can't go above five minute pace. Mm. You know, it's got to be under five because that number above five or, or, or I've got to be below six, whatever it is for that individual. I can't, can't have that. Yep. But the reality is you need it. You need to do it really easy. It's that you talked about like footy. If the AFL players trained and competed at the same level on a saturday that they did on the tuesday and then they did the same on the thursday then they did the same the next saturday what do you reckon is going to happen they get injured as it is from saturday to saturday they do an easy session on a tuesday they do yeah. half an hour of harder, for 45 minutes stuff of harder stuff of their their main set three or four days before the game and that's it everything else is about recovery and you're talking about running going okay if you run in the week of seven days, if you run four days, let's just say you run four days, but every one of those runs is hard. You're stressing your body every mm. time and you wonder why. Oh, why do I keep pulling up? Oh, I've got to do some strength. got to do some rehab. Got to go. mm. run slower. Just, yeah, just do it once break. per mm. week. Because even the days where you, you... The day you're trying to run fast is the day that you're in a, in a competition mm. or the day that you, you're having a crack. But you can't do that three times a week. Even even when you're training, you should be training within so that you can train the next day and train the next
0: day. Well, and, and you throw the recovery in there, which I don't do. Like recovery for me consists, and I know better, which is annoying to me. Recovery for me is a glass of chalk milk at the end <laughs> of a run, and I have. Who got me onto that was yeah Gary McKenzie and also Trav Mackenzie, um, past, uh, yeah, past uh, former guest, former guest. Uh, of the of the Dusty Allen Show, who we will run with. We were meant to run with him. Supposed uh, to do a race with him, weren't we? Yeah, and last now, year. now he's getting so,
1: sponsors left, right, and center, yeah, no. and
0: we're getting left behind. That's right. He'll sort us out, like okay. Yeah, he'll uh, he'll he'll be he'll be getting on board the Dusty Allen Show with all his uh, his sponsors. <laughs> Big fan of the show, Trav, Big and, his, so I and his family. I don't have a
1: watch. I don't, he's doing something. I can't tell the time. I'm going to watch. Mate, anymore. he's
0: doing some great things. Yeah, some great is. things. Yeah, uh, go back to if you're keen to find out about Trav's story, go back to season one of the of the Dusty Allen Show. But Paul, what advice would you give? to just generic advice to the, the person out there who maybe would like to run but feels like it's not for them or it is too hard or their body's not right. Like I know without seeing it might be tricky. What advice would you give like one or two things you might throw to someone who wants to, uh, to get running?
1: I think in a, in a movement sense, which is obviously where my um, specialty lay, uh, become aware of what you're doing at least just take stock of what you're doing and understand what it is you are doing and, and how you are doing it. So at least you've got a bit of a self, self-awareness self of the movements you make and, and the position you are making them and start to ask questions about Am I? what am I doing, how am I doing it and is left and right, is it balanced? Mm. So I think that's the biggest thing. Even if you're doing the wrong thing or, or something that's not um, the best for you, at least do it equally left and right which is very rare you know the the 90% of the people I'll see there'll be a left and right difference so you can imagine that the difference between the loading on the left and the right will be therefore different so at least if you're doing something equally or evenly there's a good start Um, the other side of it more about in a running sense start small start really small and it sounds really silly but start with one kilometre two kilometers mm. and it's jog walk not even you don't, you don't have to run the whole time to start with if you're starting from scratch jog for a minute walk for two start really really small don't put any pressure on other than say 10 minutes if that of jog walk and if you pull up the next day you're okay run the day after that
0: start really small bite-sized pieces eh what do i say you got if you got to. Eat an elephant. You have got to start with one bite.
1: Well, I haven't eaten many elephants, <laughs> but I assume that that's probably. Right. I've seen some big burgers, and you got to start with one bite. Correct.
0: Yes. Hockey. You you well. You're, a, you've been a professional athlete. And something that I've you know as a youngster, I always wanted to wanted to be, but never quite had the uh, the ability to do it. How did you become a professional hockey player? And, you know, it's, I don't know, like when you, when you look at the Australian sporting landscape, where, would, where do you think hockey fits in in the top five or the top ten of sports? Are you, is it like top five? Would it say go? Uh, in in, 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 what, in what terms? In what, like, what's, popularity? What's, what's rating? Uh, I think in popularity,
1: it's definitely in the top ten. Because you've got to think there's equal um, participation between male and female through all grades. So it's very much a 50-50 uh, sport. Uh, I wouldn't have thought it is top five. I think it's around that seven, eight um, area in far as participation. Now, as far as money is concerned, though, there's, in Australia, there's little to none. Like, there's very few people who do make money from hockey in a club sense they certainly don't make it in a representative sense yep. it's almost like your local footy yeah. if there is a club that needs some strengthening then they may be able to do that but even that I mean we're talking a handful of people and that's not a living that's just you know supplementary it's a you know a couple of
0: hundred bucks or something like that did you have a choice of you could have chosen other sports to pursue as a young fella
1: nah not really like I played other sports yep. um, played some golf yeah um played cricket, played baseball. Uh, but hockey was a family sport and I was the youngest of three three children. My sister's seven years older. Um, brother is five and a half years older. So it was, it was quite a, a difference. So they were already playing by the time that I started to recognize. Mum and dad played. So it was a it was yeah. a family sport. Yep. Um, even if I wanted to do, I don't think I would have been allowed. Oh. No, okay. <laughs> yeah. no it's, just, it's just that was where everyone was and I had an interest in it because yep. everyone was playing, you know,
0: all my elder siblings and my mum and dad were playing so that was it um so I, how did you end up playing in the netherlands uh i remember in 94
1: i'm gonna give away my date of birth that's well, right people yeah. can google that stuff won't put it in no. the show notes and stuff <laughs> yeah. they'll uh, they'll work it out sure i'm sure they won't yep. everyone's got better things to do <laughs> than that um in 94 i went and watched a hockey world cup which was in sydney and uh i was Pretty young at that stage, my dad uh, was an Australian selector at that point, so we went up and watched. And I remember watching a guy play for Holland, um, a guy called De Noyer and he was 18, and he was a jet. And I just remember watching, like, and just being, you know, starry-eyed, going, "Holy, shit, this guy is amazing!" And then just seeing like the European countries, and they're just a little bit different. They had people travelling over and watching. Mm-hmm. And um, I think from then I was just like, "Oh, who does he play for?" as there's a, there's a team called Bloomendale like I want to play, play for Bloomendale. I think I'd, particularly at that age I was I was thinking more about that than I was about you know um, national representation like I wasn't necessarily wanted to play for Australia I wanted to go and play for his club
0: can you give some context to some people who aren't familiar with hockey including myself what's that is that like the equivalent of playing in like the Premier League if you're playing soccer or those sort of things yeah so the the biggest clump club
1: competition in for hockey yep um, in in the world is the Dutch hoof class, uh, hoof classer. Um, So it'd be like playing, yeah, English Premier League for Man United or Real Madrid if you're in the Spanish League. Yeah. These clubs as good as it gets. So like, that's what I was, that's what I wanted to do. How old were you? So you like a a young fellow when you were watching? I was 12. Right. Okay.
0: Then you thought, cool, that kind of, Solidified, I want to go play professional hockey and then did you sort of... Well,
1: at that stage, I didn't even know it was professional. Yeah. It was just that that was, you know, like that was the club comp to go and play. In. Like, and even at that time, there wasn't a lot of... Um, there certainly weren't any Australians at that at that point mm. uh, going overseas and playing. It started to happen a little bit more after that because of the kind of the accessibility and the, and the timing became okay and because the money over there started to happen. Mm. So a few of the national guys started to go over, um, but for some reason, like that was an interest, and and that's kind of what I, not set my mind to, but it was it was very much something that I wanted to do. I was already playing hockey a lot, mm. and you know, in a you know state representative teams at twelve or, or that kind of level. Um, so it wasn't like I was not playing, and then that that was the um, the stimulus. But that was probably what I started to think about. Yeah. Uh, and then it got to the point where there was a, <laughs> it's, it's weird how something's happened. Um, uh, a guy came over with his family, it was like a diplomatic position in Canberra, and, and they, were, they were Dutch. He played hockey back in Holland, he came and played for our club team. So it was under 18, so would we were have 16, 17, 18. And this guy played for Bloomingdale, but in the, in the junior leagues. And I always, you know, we'd, we'd speak to each other mm. and you know, obviously like my interest in, in, in Dutch, Dutch hockey in particular. And then the Dutch team came to Canberra and um, I remember going out to the hockey field and asking for this Dendonoy for his shirt. I think it might have been 15, 16. Mm. I said it in Dutch. So it's kind of just perpetuated that thought. Yeah. And then I was 20 and I got an email from Barrandt. This is the guy's name saying, you know, they're looking for a player. I've told them about you. Would you be interested? Fucking hell, <laughs> <yes>. yeah, <laughs> yeah. So here I was. I was, I was twenty, and, and um, yeah, twenty, just turned twenty-one, and had been given this opportunity to go and play hockey in Holland with with my idol. Yep. So at this stage, he's been the best in the world for probably five or six years. Can and he, uh,
0: what's a, what's an equivalent? Of his standing in hockey, can you give me some other sport equivalents?
1: if we, if we keep using the the, the soccer, yep. he, he's the Lionel Messi. Like he's right. he's okay. like he's the legit number one for an extended period of time. If you play hockey, you know that name. Yep. Um, yeah, he's legit. He's and you're and playing with him. 21 turning up. He's 28, 29. So he's he's like in his in his prime. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And I, like, I was a pretty naive, young 21 year old. I certainly wasn't a mature 21 year old. Now, I'm in the middle of Holland by myself. Like, I went over there. You know, you don't go over there by with, with the family or anything. I'm mm. there living in Holland.
0: So they set you up with everything uh, with when yeah, you get yeah, over yeah. there, yeah. giving you
1: like an apartment just outside, <laughs> just outside of Amsterdam, of all places. Because it's just that, like, the, the, the town of Lumadal is not too far from. So you would have had a horrible time over there oh, yeah. in Amsterdam. <laughs> Well, I wish I could have made a, a, a more of a. I could have had a lot more fun because, as <laughs> again, like I was quite a, uh, a an immature or naive twenty twenty one year old. i probably was immature naive thirty year old. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm still. Yeah, I'm still, still working on that. that. Uh, but yeah, I, I had heaps of friends come over and visit, and I'd take them on tours of the red light district. And you know, this is this, you know, this new place. But what mm. I'd be going out with? Toon. you know? We'd be we'd be, <laughs> we'd be out. In bars in in Amsterdam, playing hockey, training four times a week on the field, playing on the weekend. I'd literally get on the field, have the ball, give it to him and watch back, like stand
0: back and just watch. Is it a similar culture sports-wise in Holland compared to Australia? I'm guessing there'd be some vast differences. Like can the players go out and socialize and not be, you know, big fish in a small pond like similar to what you see like with the sports here?
1: Yeah, um... Yes, yes. Uh, however, like, because it's, we train all on the same night, we play all on the same day on the Sunday. So anytime you're out, you're normally out with a big group of hockey people in it, and it's female's number one sport in Holland, male number two sport. So it's actually quite a, a well-known and well-recognized sport. Now, the individuals are not necessarily well, well-known unless you're like Dutch Dutch yeah. stars. However, within you know that community, which is quite big and there's quite a lot of people, um, semi-recognized, but only because it's you, you play the sport and, you, and they're playing beforehand or they're hanging around for a drink after, and which then lends into the the Sunday post post match um, TDs tan and which is tea and dancing. We started off as tea and dancing. Now it says
0: Probably beer and grinding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, where is this? Like at the at the yeah. Well, every, every club, hockey club. Yeah, or? Every,
1: every hockey club has their own ground or multiple grounds. Some of the some of the singular hockey clubs over there have seven, eight, nine hockey fields. Yep. So they have, you know, bar, change room, and yeah, all and turf. Obviously, all turf. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the first team have their own change room. So you, you've got your own change room. You leave your stuff there, and and then there's the bar upstairs. So you, you you're cruising up to the bar after a game. You've been given jugs of beer and you, you got your shin pads still on. You're that's called in your tea, and <laughs> it's tea and dancing. Tea and dancing. Because back in the day, no doubt they would have put their chinos on and you know, like yep. buttoned up and, and had some tea and dancing and and you know walked on or, or rode home mm-hmm. back to their house in, as as you do in Holland. Yep. Um, but then you've got a thousand people outside the bar, all played hockey. Half of them in their, their hockey kit. People coming from other clubs nearby, and so it just starts to become a, a big night on a, on a Sunday night.
0: Yeah. And obviously, well, how good's how good's a Sunday night? Well, it's fantastic when you don't have to work the next day. Get up at like eight o'clock to work the next morning.
1: Was only talking to my mate, you know, an hour ago, who who um, New Zealand fella played hockey against him since I was about seventeen. Only this year, gone back and played hockey for the Mm. first time about five years. We were talking about that. He goes, "Not much happens before twelve on a Monday in Holland, does it? (laughs) Not much happens after twelve on a Monday either. (laughs) So even if you play hockey, yeah, Monday's a bit of a write-off."
0: So, is Sunday the, the day to go out in... Only normal. as a hockey crowd. Normal, right, normal okay. thing, unlike the yep.
1: working is the, the, the Friday, Saturday, and then mm. and you do the same thing. But it just because it's such a large population of people who play...
0: Yep. And
1: then each town... <laughs> it's weird thinking back to it. Each town has its, for want of another term, revolver. Each town has its bubbles
0: or its, you know. For the, and for those who don't know what Revolver is, Revolver is... Uh...
1: And, and look, let's, let's not take, like, take it within context. It's not the Revolver scene, but it's it's a bar that is open all the time. Yep. I think it would just... Yes, that's all we need to yeah. say. Yeah. yeah, and
0: every town's got one and yeah. it's normally notorious for good or bad reasons, but it's open all the time. So, yeah. okay.
1: So then that becomes the Sunday night and, and because you... You know, you're doing doubles on Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, you know gym during the week. Like you do that on the Sunday night and then you're home by you know one or two and then you've got the week to train and recover and you might have a, a double weekend or something, but then it's Sunday afternoon again, and particularly in Amsterdam where we're living, there's probably five really big clubs or four mm. really big clubs that are playing in the hoof class. So one Sunday of each month is normally the club has okay once a per month, we have this TD. So the four big clubs in Amsterdam, One month. It rotates on a schedule,
0: so every every Sunday there's there's something going on. Yeah, you're really unlucky if there's five Sundays in a month. And did your hockey take you anywhere else around? uh, Around like, like I suppose going back domestically, how did it go? Like, did you ever want to play for the for the hockey ruse? And did you? Uh um, I did. The hockey Roos oh, oh wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah sorry. Uh, there we go. Cookabarrows. Yeah. I mean yeah. good. I think it would have been Can't a even edit bit that out.
1: Inappropriate for me to be playing in the, the, the hockey yep. roos. Uh well I did. And after that first time that I went to Holland, so I played one season there for mm. Bloemendaal.
0: Is when you're 21? Yeah. Yep.
1: Um and then and when I came back, I was like, oh okay. And I sort of started to set my sights on more of the Australian stuff. Mm. I was like, I oh, know I wanted to. Um, that didn't work out. Wasn't just wasn't good enough. Um, to play for Australia, um, but it took me a lot of places. So I played in the Australian indoor team for quite a while, and mm-hmm. I played in um, two indoor World Cups. Yep. So we got to travel a fair bit for that um, through Europe, you know, Poland, Austria, Poland, Germany, um, Belgium. But living wise was more spend a year playing in Spain. I um, played in New Zealand. I went there and played for eight weeks, which was cool to play in their competition um played over in perth for a season moved here really like at that, that one point moved here being uh, melbourne from canberra once i finished my university degree it was either here or perth just because the competition itself is better uh, than than in canberra so mm-hmm. i was like to, to progress and to develop so even that to the the initial move here like my sister lived here um so that was kind of the really the clincher was, you know better comp and i like the city but really family here and yep a quite close family so that was that was the decision to come here but yeah there's there's been a lot of places that i've been and lived and
0: so how how did you as i've heard this along the grapevine how did you end up at the what olympics was it you're at <laughs> like at the Hath- the athens athens, athens, olympics athens olympics yep with one thong were you missing a thong for all those listeners out there, a thong here oh, sorry, is Sorry, uh, you know, uh, a flip flop, a, a flip flop jandle, jandle. Uh, yeah, thong, not the uh, not the g string. How did you end up in that scenario? Oh, there's a bit to it. Are we? We got time. Okay. Yep. <laughs> um,
1: so the Athens Olympics. No, obviously wasn't competing, and and you'll find out pretty quickly that that wasn't the case. Uh, both my brother and I were um, dating um, girls who were competing at that Olympics. Mm. Um, my brother subsequently has married Peter, had two little, beautiful little boys. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did not. Yep. Not Peter nor my girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> and so there's about, oh, there about four of us Aussies who, who were all hockey players. So we we're going out to watch a, a hockey match. And um, it just so happened that one of my, um, sorry, my girlfriend, one of her friends. Uh, so she was a swimmer. And one of her friends was uh, the interest of um, a very popular swimmer at okay. the time. Yes. And we went to one of these hockey games, and, and I'd, I'd got a message from um, my girlfriend's friend saying, Look, we're going to a party tonight. Um, really love you to come. Um, you've been invited by uh, Michael Phelps. Oh. So just
0: no, 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 no scrub when it comes to nah, like swimming. no, nah, yeah. he's, he's,
1: he's all right. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, you'll find out later. He, he did shirk a challenge. Okay. Um, I get this message going. I said, you know, my my brother and two other mates going. We've got this Red Bull party. Fel, like Felpsy. I'm already already calling him Felpsy. Mm. Felpsy's invited us. A what? And I told him the story behind it. Now, oh, this is brilliant. So we finished the hockey session and we're walking. To, to a bar that was on the beach in in um in Athens, but we're in board shorts. I'm wearing one of my dad's old school Adidas vintage <laughs> playing shirts and a pair of thongs, or flip flops. And the other guys are um, similarly attired. Mm. And we've come to the front door. So it's, it's a beach bar. So there's still
0: a front door. Bit wasn't it, beach it a, a dressy affair? So you were you?
1: Well, I didn't know that there was a there was a yep. um. A formal attire that needed to be or, or a dress code that needed to be adhered to and we i don't think we would have adhered to any dress code if that was the case so we've rocked up and there's four of us all in australian colors and the bounce has taken one looking at no chance oh but <laughs> no but, but phelps has invited us sure he has and
0: were you putting on <laughs> were you putting on your best like be serious sort of yep we would need to sneak or well not sneak in but just like get in or were you sort of not too worried michael i didn't was you, even think the host it was, of the party was going to get think it in. was going to be a problem yeah
1: it was a red bull party we've been invited by you know mel and um and michael and and you know mel was the interest of michael and um i didn't even think it was going to be an issue so i was stunned i was like oh i thought we're in like I, mm. we were excited we were, could you see anyone in the party? Were no, because like... the front bit was was enclosed. It was almost like a, a normal, a normal bar. Yeah. So I we went, Oh stuff this, it's a beach bar. So we just walked around onto the beach <laughs> and just walked off the beach into the bar. Yeah. Walked straight in and it was like a four um four vodka red bulls. Yeah. The same the son bouncers walked in. So we hadn't said hello to Mel yet. So yep. Mel wouldn't invite us. But she saw us and she kind of waved gone to the bar, got a drink because she's got to wave this over. The, the bouncer saw us, pretty much triple jumped over. Get mm. out. Yeah. No, 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 we're, we're here, like we're, we're with, with Phelps. And he goes, told you no chance. Looked over, Phelps is just waving us Summoned over. Summoned you, he's like, so, he's yes, just like you're good. yeah, yeah. And he's like pointed at himself, went, oh, yes. What did the bouncer
0: do then? He's like, oh, okay. Yeah, He idea.
1: had a bit of a shocked face and kind of looked at he goes, sorry. Yep. On our way, so I went pff, bottle, and, and it, <laughs> because the, the, the guy, the they like, they saw us, so they've just gone bang. They've just taken over these. Yeah. ended up you know sitting there and got slightly inebriated. like you know, we all were, we're all mates by the end of it. Mm. So by that stage, I thought it was a good idea to challenge Michael Phelps to a butterfly um, race out in out in the ocean. Hang on,
0: and like there and then? Yeah. At the yeah. Well, the water was there. What time of the day is this? Midnight, midnight, right? Okay. And you're like, let's just have a
1: yeah, let's go. And he yeah. thought it was he thought it was hilarious. Yeah. So we walked out there and got in the water. I started splashing around, pretending like I was doing butterfly. Just and, and in that's your kinda jocks, has, I'm guessing. No, I like, know I yeah. had
0: board shorts on. Oh, I was appropriately yeah. okay. attired
1: for yeah. said challenge. I just happened to have my phone and my wallet in my pocket at the time. I gave my brother my yeah. my camera. Mm-hmm. Oh, but you and yeah. and he 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 thought it was hilarious. Took a couple of photos and
0: yeah, Phillips didn't come in. So I win. I beat Phelps. So you're undefeated against Michael Phelps in, one uh, in swimming races. One and oh, yeah. One and oh. I'll make sure to give him a uh, give him a shout out yeah. on this one. So if he wants to come on the show and uh, yeah. challenge any of that sort of yeah, stuff, he's he, more he rolled than his to. he
1: rolled his pants up and he stood at stood at the beachfront and then he was hands on knees laughing at me. I think yep. it was possibly because I was knee deep in the water trying to do butterfly. Yep. But either way, he didn't take the challenge. He, I think he might have won. Five or six gold medals at that, that Olympics, yeah. But not yeah. this one.
0: No, not the, the ones that the one that you know. Not the really one counts. that mattered. Yes, yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and did you stay in touch with Phelpsy? Uh for a little bit, yeah. Yep. Yeah, because well, <laughs> you know,
1: we've all been in a place when we're really interested in a girl, but I happen to be that conduit. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting messages from, me, yeah, well, what, you know, what do you think? What, you know, am, am I a chance? What, you know, so for that for that you know week and probably subsequent weeks. You
0: say she's off you, mate, because you. Shirk the challenge
1: yeah because she wants someone who's actually a little bit quicker in the water mm-hmm. yep but that was me no
0: no <laughs> she definitely, <laughs> definitely did not
1: uh but that was the that's that's kind of how that happened and then um yeah the,
0: yeah and then it kind
1: of went on from there the night
0: did it go, like, mate, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm in so, yeah, we in the detail to the one, of this story. One. I've never got this level of detail before. <laughs> like, is yeah. that that's it? Like, was there no, kick-ons the, or
1: oh, look, we, we went back to the bar for a couple more. Yeah. because it was a, a Red Bull party. Like, yeah. feel free to sponsor the Destino and they Allen party like a Red Bull party. That's yeah. right. Feel feel free to get on board. Um, but because you know, like the, the first week was over, which was the swimming, and and it was like you know day one of the second week. So that's why the parties had started for the for the swimmers. I hadn't seen um my girlfriend at the time, mm. for, you know, for a couple of weeks. So I wanted to go and see her. However, it was 3 a.m. in the morning and I was, you know, slightly under the weather mm. and um,
0: she was at the Athletes' Village. So is this... Were the Olympics still happening at this stage? Yeah, or yeah, this yeah. Is post? No, no, no. It was, yep. it
1: was the second week of the yep. Olympics. So, start oh, so of most the of their
0: week. events had been done. They're done. And stuff. Yeah, yeah right. swimming
1: had been done and yep. it started the athletics week. Yep. So that was kind of the second. Uh, the swimmers get it good... Because they're done after their first week and then all the parties are the second
0: week. Yeah. so the track and field people miss out because they're all competing second week.
1: Well, the ones particularly at the end of the second week, the other thing about the track and field is some of them would be done in the first day or two.
0: Yeah right. Um, okay. So
1: they can participate in some of them. yep. We're pretending like the parties are the good thing
0: about the Olympics like the participate. but but then, then it, that's all you hear about though, like yeah. on the news like yeah cool, the, the on track on field in water stuff is great. But you're also you're getting the, the news is saying, oh, you know, the athletes' village is like party town and this, and they've shipped in, you know, wheelie bins full of condoms and <laughs> this and that and stuff like what I heard on the news. Oh, yeah. And yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um.
1: I never got to see the inside. Oh, I, I got into the village. I got, I got to villi- uh, visit the village.
0: Yep. But not this night. What, just like, so were you, obviously, I'm guessing it's like heavily guarded or you need credentials and things to, to yeah. get in?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was very two different experiences in the first week to visit, to go and visit. Oh, so I did actually No, no, the visit happened later.
0: Anyway, this... So you kicked this, on from <laughs> Red Bull Party. Well, I did. Right. <laughs> so you're just steaming, you're feeling great. Invincible, <laughs> would that be safe to say?
1: Yeah, yeah. Invincible was probably not a bad word. Yep. So I decided to go to the Olympic Village to try and get in and... And say good day to my yep. girlfriend. And got a cab there, so right. I had no idea where it was. I don't know how yep. I got there, and I was obviously not in the best condition at that time. Mm. Um, and then got to the front gates of the um, Olympic Village and tried to get in.
0: How did you go about that? Just be like, "Hi, I'm here to see this person. Thanks. Yep. Smile, and away you go." And they said, "What's your name?" And
1: my name's Hallie Gaborsi. <laughs>
0: I don't know why. Um, I don't know why. For, don't and know. so, for also for those who may don't maybe don't know who that is, who is that? Who you told them that you were? Oh, it's probably
1: one of the, if not the greatest, track runner from Ethiopia.
0: Right. Okay. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a, a few differences in appearance, you'd say. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and also the fact that, well known for his running exploits as well, but. You thought that's what you're gonna?
1: Oh, I would have thought a little bit better known for his yep. running exploits <laughs> than, than some others in this room. Yep. Uh, I think we both grow a good moustache. Yep. I reckon we're both from the southern hemisphere.
0: And that's ha- ha- obviously that didn't no didn't go down. Did not well. wash.
1: Well, yep. they asked a few times and they said yep. no, seriously. And I tried to. I I held true, like I mm. stuck fat with my my um. My name and, and who I was going with. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, didn't get in. So I was sat down in one of the, the chairs off to the side of this tent. It was a tent um, for a little bit and got told to sober up, which I didn't do.
0: And I just <laughs> left because obviously I wasn't getting in. Yeah. Found myself a bus. So there's no cab, so you got a cab out there, but it's not like there was like a taxi rank waiting just to. And it was one of the out.
1: yeah, and it was one of the buses that kind of that, that took either volunteers or, or athletes to to a venues. Yep. And I jumped on one, and they just dropped me off at a at a train stop. Uh, yeah, I think it was my line, but I'm not sure. I got on the train. Oh, this is getting worse and worse. I subsequently, got booted off that train and found myself a park bench because it was, it was so warm there. It was like, yeah. you know, high 20s. I found a park bench outside the, um, the, the train station and, and fell asleep for an hour or two just to go, warm. Well, I need to, need to sober up.
0: Yep, need some rest. So
1: this is where the one thong, I guess, oh, comes into it. right. So I wake up with one thong. <laughs> no wallet, no phone. And I look up and there's the Acropolis. Oh, so you just felt like... I wasn't the... On, the, on the hill, but yeah. You could kind of look up and
0: see one of our historic... Well, you can pick your spots as far as like places to crash. That's not too bad you know, if you want a, a view to wake up to. Was there people around? Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's a train station. It was probably by that stage 9am in the morning. Or yeah. 8am. Well, I, don't I, I didn't have a watch. I don't think I had a watch either. Yeah.
0: And you'd have your, you have your tourists, have your everyday people just sort of, you know, shuffling by and there's you just... Uh, well, in up. Aussie
1: gear, so it's probably normal. He's mm. just another an Aussie, drunk and, and
0: thongless. The old Jaffa, eh? Uh, and acronym Jaffa, just another fucking Aussie. I think it's like, I've heard that in London, heard it in I just, Canada. I just
1: assume that they'd call you that because you're redhead
0: that too you know some red red connotations i'll definitely get get the odd the odd nickname so but more more so for you know when aussies travel not you know probably less so like the well, particularly these days but less so these days you know people traveling um i feel like every aussie traveling always in some way thought that they were in some way trailblazing you know doing doing something differently or you know bit of a uh, bit of larrikinism and that sort of thing but like they were the
1: first to ever travel?
0: Yeah, like yep. the first to to tie the Australian flag around there and wear it as a cape and you know, try and you know drink someone under the table. Like, I think one of my mates who came to that Red Bull party had the, the cape around. Yeah. Probably, always, I blame him. It probably flies better at the Olympics of any year because you've got a whole different bunch of nationalities there, but I sometimes reputa- reputations as Aussies precede us when we go places from those who've obviously been before. Like I... Remember living in Toronto, and bumped into some whoever it was. We were chanting the pub. Oh, you're not going to try not drink us under the table. I'm like, no, nah. well, certainly not you. No, you. <laughs> so I, I pick pick my times. I don't want to want to have a crack. You know? I like, if Michael Phelps was there, I might have not challenged because I know he likes to likes to shirk one every now and then. So. Yeah, doesn't like a challenge. Now, hockey, running, those sort of things. Was there ever? Oh, well, you said you studied. What is it you studied at uni? I said I studied. Oh, okay. no, 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 I I did a um a PE teaching degree. Yep. Why, uh, why, why am I not talking to a phys ed teacher now? Um, look,
1: and I think what I do now has a has a really strong correlation of that that teaching and educating mm. side of it, and I, and I, but I think it gives you like a much more intimate side to it. Uh, teaching, I really enjoyed. Um, mm-hmm. I loved, yeah, the teaching side of it. However, you know, it's got a low ceiling limit if you want to just teach. If you don't want to go into sort of a management role or go mm-hmm. higher up through into, um, but then the more or the higher you go, the less teaching you actually do. So that was a part of it, or um, well, those two th- two factors in particular. And and I I think I'd, I kind of wanted more for myself, and that's that's not. That teaching it wouldn't have been enough. It was I wanted to make something of my own, mm. and to be able to kind of dictate and determine how and what I do. And at that point, I didn't know what it was, but the decision was made pretty clearly then that this wasn't it. Yep. Um, so I stopped, and I had look. I had a, a couple of really great jobs here in in Melbourne, mm. um, and even the last teaching job that I had was was my favourite job. In, in the teaching sense. Um, yeah, so I think I just sort of went to that point where was, okay, the ceiling limit's too low. And I didn't know that it was the teaching part that was going to fuel me later on. It was just that this wasn't it. Yeah. So then I went into another role, which was more of a sports... Uh, it's not management or administration. We did a lot of stuff to do with facility development and, and design development about... Um, elite training facilities or, or, or elite stadiums. So down here was a good place to do it given all... During that period, it was all the AFL, um, you know, arms race about having the best facility. Mm. So it was, it was having a lot to do with that. Or and, and it was one of the coolest jobs I did even in that role was um, had a lot to do with the, the stadium lights at Marnica Oval in Canberra. So I was kind okay. of traveling back up into Canberra a lot to to design, develop, to fund, and then to... then uh, Not oversee, but to, to watch over... That um, development of the of the lights and, and being able to go back there now and watch the Giants play mm. under lights is is pretty cool. Like sort of looking back and saying, it had had something to do with it.
0: Yeah. Do you think the because I'm always fascinated by the path paths that people take, whether it be like career or personal things. are like, do you think your I know you said like say choice in like hockey was one was. Kind of dictated, or like, you know, through like family and that stuff. Sort of, did they, did your family, like your mum and your dad, at you know, that point, have an influence on what you wanted to do, like professionally? or they, hey, it'd be great to, you know, like when you were yeah. when you were hockey, were they, oh, like ho gung ho, like hockey, or?
1: Uh, the the hockey and the professional one is probably two different sides to it. So mm. the the hockey one, though, very much. Um, uh, a part of the, the 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 progression, but they certainly weren't um they certainly weren't pushy you know mm. mum was a very much a, a one eyed supporter yeah um and and you could do no wrong but she certainly wasn't you know do this do that or or she wasn't you know like a, like a you know a te- tennis parent for yep. for one of a better term that's kind of the, the, the analogy and dad was almost the opposite so him being like an, a national selector he almost didn't want to give too much because he didn't want to be um somewhat uh in the middle yeah so if you got a compliment from him much like most people's dads like mm. it, you know that was big but it was probably another level of it because of that reason so they certainly weren't so we we're all all three of us the the kids we were all very much self-driven and, and, and in some parts probably you know crying out for just some feedback not even positive mm. um from from um one side uh but in the professional side I pretty much just walked to the beat of my own drum for the most part. I did what I what I wanted sounds selfish, but also in, in a lot mm. of senses it, it, it is. But I'd kind of just skip to my own tune. Where do you think you got that approach from? Uh, certainly my mum. Yeah. Yeah. You know, dad's a lot more conservative like I struggled I forget sometimes he was a farmer so you know sole trader had his own business and it was only recently you know two or three years down the track of doing what I do now I was like hang on like you've been saying stay in teaching stay in this sports sports job because it was a well paying or you know much more you you were doing your own business yourself Hmm. so there was that kind of side to it as well um but no, mum was much more the the free spirit would probably be the, the better way to put it, and and probably a little
0: bit more open in in decisions or choices. Yep, Yeah. And the the do you think with like what you're what you're doing now, like with uh, like do you, do you see like do you say like chatting to your to your dad about like the correlation say so, well I'm running my own business doing this as the the balance runner like he you know Yeah, we've had that conversation with the farm and stuff yeah,
1: yeah. yeah we've had that conversation but we're, we're, I think the biggest um the, the more momentous time for him was when I'd gone through the teaching and made mm. the decision to leave without knowing what I was going to do next and I, and I found another job and, and was doing Doing things to make sure that I could support myself before I found this um, sports, mm. let's say sports administration, it's, it's yep. not but let's just use that, um, job and, and rose up in that quite quickly and got to come to Canberra a lot because a few of the projects were there and he saw the development and the risk I took because I, I went into that job and said, I have no experience in this role so I can completely understand why I wouldn't be given a job and there was no job on offer. At this at this company, and I met up with this guy. I said, "Well, what if I do you know a day a week work experience, so that I can actually start to understand if I actually like it or mm-hmm. if I'm even capable." Yep. And I did that for three weeks, and then I got offered a 20 hour a week job. Yep. So I was, was no, I'll, I'll work for free because I have no experience. And I don't know if I even want to do it, or I don't know if I'm going to like it. Which then turned into 20 hour a week, which then turned into a full time job. And I was there for kind of 18 months and, and progressed really quickly in this role. And that's when dad, and that's when I made the decision, nah, this isn't it either. Mm. And that's when I chose to go into Holland again. And we'll, I guess we'll get to that. But I made that decision. That's when he's like, well, what are, you, what are you doing? You've just progressed to this and now you're going,
0: in his eyes, backwards. Well, I think you're, and I come across this like a lot. Like if people ask like, what do you want to do when you grow up? I was like, I'm 38 years old. I, like, I don't know. I don't know now. and might not grown up? No, I, I, I know <laughs> no, I'm not. No, no, no. And it's sometimes just as important to know what you don't want to do as opposed to, I, I almost think more important than what you do. Yeah. Because we put, from a young age, we put pressure, I think, on young people like coming out of school or whatever saying, oh, you need to kind of choose which path you want to go instead of encouraging, like, take a gap year, see the world, like, you're still growing as like a person, you know, like, you know, emotionally and, and things. And I, I think that's the, knowing what you don't want to do is a win. You know, when you say like, that's not it, you know, um, that's that's incredibly important, I think.
1: Well, I think also you get to the point, if you get to the point where you think you are grown up, then where do you go to from there? What's grown up? Well,
0: that's the point. Yeah, when do, when do we know if we're grown up?
1: Like if I'm grown up, then the end's coming pretty soon. Yeah. You know, like if I think, if I'm grown up, then there's not much left.
0: No, I think... Like you
1: can act responsible and you can understand that there's repercussions for your actions. Mm. But that doesn't mean you necessarily, you know, you don't see more growth. Mm. And grown up means there's no growth.
0: Yeah, there's not much left yeah. to... Uh, Which yeah. means then you're limiting yourself to growth. Mm. Well, I think I look at it from a an emotional... Standpoint.
1: Well, and, and I think this is really interesting that the emotional development whilst normally happens at a younger age or an adolescent mm. or even something in early adulthood. Uh, Dad said to me at one point only a couple of years ago after, you know, like as a family, we went through quite a bit of trauma that he, he said to me how much he learned from me about dealing with or expressing in a, in a, in a verbal context emotions. Mm. So if he couldn't actually have even emotional growth as a now seventy-year-old, seventy-two-year-old, mm. then where are we? Like, if we can't have some semblance, like, or be open to it, yeah, like things get closed down pretty quickly, and then it's a long time to be closed off.
0: I like I look at I, I, when you say that, like, 'cause I've got an incredibly good relationship with my dad, and obviously as you alluded to before, like your family going through a bit of trauma when your mum passed away. And I've never come even close to anything like that, but I take from those things like, you know, tell the people that you have in your life now that you love them and work on those emotional connections. Like my... My dad and I now, like, we hang out the phone. We say, "Like, I love you," every time. And when we first, like, sort of said it, like, it sounds like a bit weird, it's like, "Oh, I love you," but it's just, I, I Do don't you say it in that voice though. Not, I love you. No, no. no. I, say, I love you, mate. He goes, "Love you too," and which is brilliant. Yeah, and it's like we said, we, we, he's expressed emotion to me. I've, I've shown emotion to him. Like that stuff's really important, and it's often particularly tricky with with families. And I don't think. I suppose I said here's me giving some advice to people I don't think you should wait for a particularly any sort of experience to to share that sort of but sometimes that's what's the catalyst to to start uh, a conversation or a new way of, of interacting or having a relationship with people family friends not otherwise particularly family and I think we were our family
1: very close could talk a lot but not necessarily able to talk about feelings emotions and mm. which probably made me feel a little bit no, no no mate that's that's not wrong because that's that sounds like it was put on no i felt probably a little bit more like a black sheep because i mm. i wanted to but didn't know how to so then there's that conflict internally um and then you know all five of us were very different about how we wanted to but held back or, or couldn't mm. so i think that was the other side of it and i think that's probably why the the, the comment that Dad made. Yep. Um, because then it got to the point at one point where it was like, oh, stuff and I'm going to do it anyway and and which will also cause conflict and, mm. and, and that's okay as well because I'm not going to take that as offense because I am doing something different. Mm. Um, and and different is scary or different is different and some people struggle to understand it sometimes.
0: Do you, do you think it comes down to like a, a relationship between parents and, and children, like at any age, like ultimately they just want you to be happy and fulfilled yeah, in what yeah. you're doing and yeah. that's the end point that you always get to. They might be like, oh, I don't... it's A, that's not how I would have done it. But I look at... Because anyone who's got like a parent, most of the time, there's going to be a generational gap between how they went about things, what they know, what they've learned and sometimes parents don't always have the relevant advice to give is so I'm going to share what I know and my experience is X, Y and Z so that's I think you should do this whereas yeah. you know the world we live in things things change so so rapidly
1: yeah yeah and I think initially so when I decided to go to Holland for that mm. first time you know dad was against it yep. you know mum mum was for it yep <laughs> go mum yeah, yep. yeah. Um, but in in, in defence of dad as well like he I had to Pay for the ticket to go over before I got reimbursed and then paid while I was over mm. there. But he was like, more than happy. No, I'll pay for it. Yeah. So he was against it, but it's like you're doing this, I'll oh, help. Because yep. at that point, you know, twenty, I was useless with money. Mm. Um, <laughs> some may say may still. Um, <laughs> Can relate. <laughs> but the the real development of that initially, I was angry and upset why he didn't understand or why I didn't know why why it was so important mm. to me. Whereas later on down the track, I knew that it would be that generational gap. And the, and, and the interest is just because they he, you know, at that point, you know, my had passed. But when I decided to go again, the interest was solely care. Mm. But I didn't care. As in, I knew that he was against it. And I appreciated that it came from a position of love. But I was going to do it anyway. Mm. Um, because... I needed to at that time. I wanted to at that time. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that's... So then it became like a development of, no, nah, it wasn't like a rebuttal. It was just, that's okay, I get it, but I'm going to
0: do it anyway. It, it's an acknowledgement. It's not like, screw you, I'm just going to do this. i like going to take that into consideration, appreciate it, but this is the decision that I'm making. I think there's a big difference between rebelling and mindfully choosing a, a path that you want to go down.
1: Yeah, and the cool thing from that was... so. Um, I went over back over it, you know, for a year when I was thirty. So it was quite a gap. I mm. went for I went back to Spain when I was twenty-five. Yep. Oh, sorry, I went back. I went, went to Spain for a year when I was twenty-five. So it had something happened in between, as in, I went overseas again to play. Mm. But it wasn't until I was thirty before I went back to Holland. Went for the first season, had a ball, and I signed another contract over there. Yep. And when I came back, that was the point when Dad was like, "What? What do you mean?" Mm. You know, like you had your fun, you oh, went it's over. Oh, like, okay, we kind of, we let that, you had your, well, yeah. It wasn't yeah. even a let, it was, it was a what are you doing initially mm. because you got this job, but this makes sense because if you don't do it now, you might not get another opportunity. So I kind of understand. Mm. Then I signed to another contract. What are you doing? You know, you, you forged this career elsewhere. You put in this time, you, you know, you did it rough at mm. the initial stages and now you're, now you're staying over there. Yeah. Yeah. And then he came over. So, the first half of the season of the second season, I was there, the, the third time I went overseas. He came over and he stayed for two weeks with me. And he had a
0: ball. Yep. Tea and dancing. Tea and dancing. <laughs> he came to the team. You know, yeah. ph- Phil that I
1: was talking about earlier yeah. on. So, we've, we've driven home from one of the games down to Denbos, which is in between where I was living at the, at the, at the point um, and where the game was. And I've dropped into this club where Phil and another mm. I was, uh, a New Zealand guy, Shay, was there and we dropped in and, and they're, they're sponsored head to toe in like, you know, equivalent of Hugo Boss and, mm. or Gant. Yep. And Phil's got this ugly knitted vest. <laughs> it's ugly. And dad's like, well, I like your vest. Phil took it off, gave it to him on yep. the spot. No, 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 I can't take it, can't take it. Gave it back to him. And then anyway, <laughs> Phil a couple of months later put it in a package sent it to dad back to back to canberra so dad's opened up this package so he's gone over and he comes every night to training goes to the bar he got referenced or, or known to the barman in, in my club at that point which was tilburg mm-hmm. as johnny one beer because we're training so he's walking in finger up like one yep one <laughs> and, he, and he you know have a beer with his book and come out and watch training so the first week uh first first week had a ball second week. He was like he was into it. He's going to the same cafe as I was going. The two girls that owned the cafe liked him more than me, which is normal. Mm. And loved it. I took him back to the um airport at the end of his two weeks. And he um he just said to me, I get it.
0: That's powerful. Yeah,
1: I get mm. it. And then he came back another two times for the next two seasons. <laughs> yeah. I was there, he came back two mm. more times. The next time I was in it. And he He's been back to Holland more times than I have since I've. Like, well, I haven't been back since I last played. Johnny One Beer. Johnny One Beer <laughs> has been back to Holland. I think three or four times since I stopped playing, and he goes and visits the clubs and, and the cafe. He walked in with his with one of his best mates from school, hmm. who's, a, who's a hockey guy, and they went over to watch a, another tournament and walked into this Tilburg. So it's not even the hockey there. He's, they've taken a train to get there. I'll take you to this cafe. Bob, like, what? what are we talking about? Mm. Dad walks in, he's like a superstar. These two Dutch girls run up, "Oh, John!" Big hug, big kiss, and here he is. You know, he's a bit
0: chuffed. He's he's closer with them than get I am. Upstaged now. by our parents, oh, yeah. Mate. yeah. can never get out of that shadow. Exactly. Yep. So,
1: but that's the progression. Mm. You got to the point. No, nah, I get it. But then when I made the decision to come back, he's like, "Okay."
0: It that's one of probably the, and I don't know if I've ever told my mum this, but like I honor. Fan of the show. A big fan of the show, Wendy Allen. Yeah, shout out to mum. When I was living in Canada playing footy, and I'll stress, this is not professional in any sense. This is, you know, um, shout out to the Ontario Australian Footy League. But it was over there playing footy. It's like a bit of a kick and giggle uh, situation for, for a lot of people. But it's, um, it's the, the oldest competition outside of Australia anyway. Um, is it a history lesson? Uh, there you go. Yeah, fun fact. And... At that point, I wanted to make a life over there. I, you know, work. didn't know what I was doing with work and scratching around trying to. You know, I was I was teaching footy clinics uh, in schools at that time, and she always wanted me to come home. She goes, "Oh, when are you going to come home?" and and whatnot. And and I knew at some point I oh, maybe would, but I said this might be where I stay. From who knows you, you I might end up there. And her and Dad had never done a lot of had done any international traveling. They came over and to toronto and that she saw that i had a friend network that i was that i was okay they just want to know i think that you're going to be okay and she said to me she goes i get it dust i can see you've got a network here she goes i was just worried about you and when she said she got it i was like that was so huge Mm. and that's that what would you what would you say to someone whether it be a young person not so young person who might be in a similar situation where they want to do something they want to follow their their passion they want to follow something like that but there maybe might be some resistance or it's not something that's done before what would you say to someone in that situation to you like a a 21 year old person maybe at those crossroads if you call it that
1: well i think in the end it's your decision so make the decision that you're going to be proud of or or willing to accept down the track good or bad because if it's not your decision, it's really hard to take. So I think as a 2021 20, year old, make the decision if it's good, brilliant. If it's bad, at least it was yours. No regrets. Well, no regrets. No regrets. <laughs> no regrets. No regrets. <laughs> well, it's not even that. It's just about making decisions for yourself and and accepting the outcomes for it. Mm. I think there's such a such a poor Culture these days of not accepting responsibility for decisions because I think a lot of people aren't allowed to make decisions Mm. yeah and I think yeah just make the decision understanding that not everyone is going to accept it or agree with it Mm. and that it might go wrong
0: I think there's something in that as well like at least make it. And if things are wrong, you're like, you generally learn from it. There's a lesson in, like, I don't subscribe to everything happens for a reason. Nah. But there's a lesson in everything that happens, it, it, good or bad. Yeah, even if that lesson is,
1: I got to make the decision myself.
0: Mm. Yeah,
1: It wasn't someone else. It wasn't, I'm doing this because, you know, my parents or someone or family or friend thinks this is the best for me. And no doubt, mm. friends, family do have your best interests at heart. Still not your decision unless it's your decision.
0: Yeah, and only you will know if it's your decision. Yeah, Paul, I'm keen to know, and I ask this of a lot of guests who come on the show. What are your core values? What do you? What are some words or things that you that Mm -hmm. you operate by?
1: Uh, My number one one, probably, it's a weird one. I guess in some some respects, my number one value is manners. You know, costs nothing. Yep. Um, but it's so important. And it and it shows a respect and a regard irrespective of the individual. Now, you know, like like most things, we don't always live up to them, but I feel really poorly if I don't. Mm. Or I feel conflicted for one reason or another until I realise that maybe I wasn't yep. polite. Um, so yeah, my number one is his manners. Manners. Uh, number two. Two would be quality, like, and, and having quality of time, of experience, of, of um, uh, input, of whatever it is, uh, doing it or being at the best of your ability mm. at that moment. Yep. And then, you know, like many, honesty, honesty with oneself more so than mm. um, yep. because it starts within. And, and again, all three at one point or another or many times, I will fail or have and will. But they're certainly the three main things that I try and abide by or, or, or decide upon.
0: I like that. Manners... What was the second one? Quality. Quality. Yeah, they're real good. If you go, going- <laughs> <laughs> it's. A, I think that that it's a it's a it's a rare thing, yeah. You know, but like your quality and everything that you go about, I I like that, mate. And speaking of manners, I want to thank you for coming on the Dusty Allen Show. Finally, we've got you on. And
1: yeah. No, we're just just waiting for the the opportunity.
0: Yep. And, yeah, I want to thank you for coming on the show, mate, and sharing your, sharing your stories. If people want to follow along with what you're doing, what's the best way for them to, to track you down or find you these days? Where can you be found?
1: Um, the information probably in regards to The Balanced Runner is yeah. at The Balanced Runner yep. on Instagram. Um, I do some stuff on Facebook, but I wouldn't follow there. And then on, on the website, thebalancedrunner.com.au. Yep. Beautiful.
0: Beautiful. Mate, thank you very much for coming on the show and uh, we'll see you out there. Thanks, mate. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed it.